and welcome back to the Chris Yeh podcast. I am, as always, Chris Yeh. And today we have another installment in our HBS Class of 2000 reunion special. Now, we've already had our reunion. Some of, may, of you may have listened to the class panel from the reunion, but that doesn't mean we're going to stop. We are going to keep going, and that means both myself and my partner in crime, Lindsay Mead. And we are joined today by a very special guest, Nick Korgonkar, who, in addition to being, like us, a Harvard MBA, something of dubious value, uh, is also a medical doctor who is practicing as we speak and also a professor at Johns Hopkins University. So, Nick, thank you so much for joining us today. And, Lindsay, take it away. Hi. Uh, Nick, thanks so much for for joining us. I, I wonder, Chris, do we spend, like, just a moment on kind of what Nick is seeing right now before we dive into the questions? I think that sounds like a great idea. Okay. I think you have a really unusual and certainly I'd welcome hearing, Nick, your observations on what you're seeing in the medical world. Um, I think you were saying before we started that there were, um, you know, that the trends are definitely not in a, in a good direction. So I don't know if you want to just kind of opine on what you're seeing. Yeah, sure. I mean, you know, this is admittedly kind of one person's view in, in one hospital system, but I think we're seeing, um, we're seeing this, you know, certainly in the news play out. And uh, my opinion is that really the situation remains frightening. Um, We would of course all love to be wide open and back to normal business, but uh, my primary place of practice is it's a regional hospital. It's about 600 beds, which would make it a fairly large hospital. Um, And Chris mentioned that I am on the faculty at Hopkins, but that's not where I practice primarily. So in, in Southern Pennsylvania, uh, the state has started to open up, and uh, we have seen a real spike within the past month or so. And uh, frighteningly, our COVID admissions are higher than they've ever been. Um, wow. We have about 40 to 50 patients uh, with COVID in the hospital at any given time. And, you know, much like what we saw in, in New York, thankfully on a smaller scale, but as we saw in New York, you know, it's young people and it's people who are not in what we typically think of as the highest risk demographic. They're not old. They're not always these, the old, you know, 70 and 80 year old nursing home patients. They're uh, people in their forties and fifties. And many of them are requiring um, the highest levels of support that we can offer, uh, you know, artificial lungs. Um, and, and many of them, unfortunately, are still succumbing to, to the condition, to the disease. Um, so it, it's, it's still out there, uh, remind all of our, our listeners to, to stay safe. Yeah. Now, one of the yeah, things Chris. that's interesting. No, go, go, I was go. Gonna say, one of the things that's interesting, Nick, is obviously, you know, thoracic surgeon medical professional is not the typical career trajectory of Harvard <laughs> business school graduates. Uh, and you, again, as I mentioned, you're doing real good in the world, which Some people may view as a as a contrast, but how did this occur? How did you end up uh, going to Harvard Business School, but then also becoming a medical doctor? Um, That's a great question, and there's sort of the uh, there there are two answers to that, and I think the true answer is that uh, the timeline is that I started medical med school after after undergrad, um, and never really went into medicine or did not go into medicine with a love of the science per se, um, really went in there looking forward to taking care of patients. 
And the first two years of medical school um, are really pretty much in the classroom. There's very little patient contact. And I had had a lot of other interests in college. And so I wasn't quite sure that I wanted to be tracked into, you know, into medicine the way you, uh, you do get tracked when you start. So I applied to business school and did so as a potential career change. Um, now that's a little bit different than the story that I, <laughs> that I sold in the admissions <laughs> committee. Um, yeah. but, uh, that was kind of the truth that I went into, into B school thinking that I might want to do something different. Um, I loved business school. I thought it was, you know, as I'm, I'm sure the two of you agree, you met some amazing people, people with grand ideas and, and, you know, the ability and the gumption to make the, those ideas happen. And we've seen that happen with so many of our classmates. And so it was just an amazing place to be, but I kind of felt, found myself drawn back to the idea of, you know, taking care of one person at a time on a very individual level and, and doing something super impactful in that person's life. Um, and so I went back to medical school after finishing, uh, finishing up at HBS and kind of followed the rest of the medical track since then. And I think one of the things that I learned from business school is that, you know, the frontiers of medicine right now, we love to think about sort of the most advanced robot that we can use in the operating room or the, the latest, you know, blockbuster drug that comes out at, at, ASCO, which is one of the big oncology meetings. And those really are frontiers of medicine, but it's so much about, you know, knowing the right thing to do and then actually doing those things. So it's a lot of kind of culture change. It's a lot of what we learned in LEAD. It's a lot of what we learned in, you know, Tom, uh, you know, how do you make the right thing, the easy thing to do when physicians are going through these super busy work days? And it's just, it's, it's easier to do the wrong thing. You got to make it easier to do the right thing. And so th there's so much benefit that we can achieve in patient care by, uh, by following the guidelines that we already know. And it's amazing. It's amazing. It's mind boggling. The, the, the degree to which we do not do that um, just as a profession, as an industry, as a healthcare industry. So you know, I think that is as much a frontier of medicine as, um, as any amazing technology or as any tiny heart stent or as any, you know, uh, heart support device. Um, and I, that's kind of what I, where I've brought HBS into my career path, uh, in addition to practicing, doing some of the administrative things that I do uh, at my institution. Uh, and so I, you know, I, I, I've been able to kind of meld the MBA and the, uh, the MD um, in what I think are some, you know, important and fulfilling ways. But at the end of the day, I, I just really enjoy taking care of patients. Uh, so that's what I spend the vast majority of my time doing. Right. Have you ever done it? Do you, you're probably, I know surgery is a massive category. Do you do transplants or no? Yeah, I do not do transplants. It is part of thoracic surgery, but it was a very conscious choice to not do transplant. Um, Got it. Is, uh, it's just a completely different lifestyle. And, yeah. Um, I love that there are people who enjoy doing that. 
I yep. am well, <laughs> provided this doesn't violate HIPAA, what was the last surgery you performed and when was it? The last surgery I performed was today. Um, actually did a couple of cases this morning and uh, it was someone with a thankfully early stage lung cancer. And so uh, removing the part of the lung that it was located in should give this patient, you know, somewhere between an 80 and 90% chance of cure. Awesome. So, that wow. is amazing. Yeah. That's, that's got to make you feel good. You know, it's, it's, um, it's, yeah, it's, uh, it's, I think it's a, it's a profession in which, uh, again, as many of, of us do in, in other professions and other career fields, but uh, this is what kind of suited me where you can, you can do well by, by doing good for people. Well, I, I, for one, I'm grateful that it's, it's an unusual path out of HBS, but I'm glad you took it. So thank you. Thank you. Um, so uh, Chris, shall I start our questions? Yes, let's go ahead. Okay. So Nick, just to start, what is a moment that you remember vividly from our time at HBS? Is there a single, you know, I, I, I will say as an aside, I'm massively interested and have been forever and what, why we remember what we remember. So that's a separate question. But what is one memory that you really do hold dear that you remember well? Um, let's see. So, you know, certainly one that I remember well is, um, being cold called in marketing and not having prepared the case. So I don't know if either of you went through any, any similar uh, incidents where you just were kind of unprepared to answer, <laughs> but at the moment there's kind of a million things going through your head. Do I make this up? Do I, you know, um, as they say, without the H it's just BS. Uh, all, all. <laughs> I've actually never heard that before. Oh, really? That's really quite good. We're, we're all, um, you know, we all have the gift of gab. So, you know, part of me was like, okay, am I just going to make it up and uh, see how long I can go for? Um, but I ended up fessing up and saying, I'm sorry, I'm not prepared to answer the question. I haven't prepared the case. And so, um, obviously it's, it's a moment that sticks with you for a little while. And at the time it feels like it's just the worst thing in the world that could have happened to you. Um, so it stands out for that reason, but as I've had a little bit of perspective on it over the years, I also realized that, um, you know, we've got to keep things in perspective and, uh, you know, as you, as you grow up and as you, especially, you know, being in, in the field that I'm in, you see that there are so many other things in in life, and uh, small things like this that end up being just small little tribulations or nothing to get uh, too upset over. So it stands out for me in the sense of, you know, keep it real, uh, yeah. and remember there's a whole big world around you, uh, in addition to the to the small trials that you're going through. A another, uh, it's it's not so much an event, but it was being in Nitin Noria's lead class. Um, and just constantly being in awe of the way he commanded uh, this classroom. I and mean, we're all, you know, sort of intelligent and accomplished people. There are, what, 80 of us in a section. Uh, and the way he just kind of held court there. And it was some, something that I've kind of tried to, to emulate over the years. Um, but just the way that he um, had a very 
he, he kind of, you know, the way he set the tone um, for the way this class would be conducted um, and really reinforced what he expected uh, out of his students uh, and the way he achieved that every single day um, flawlessly. So it's not so much an event, but uh, he's probably the, the professor who made the greatest impact on me. And um, it was the way he could comport himself with, um, with a, a lot of sort of gravitas and, um, and dignity without being, you know, frightening or overbearing or mm -hmm. uh, someone who you were, um, you know, someone who you felt was not approachable. Yeah. Uh, he taught my section lead as well. Right. He was also my favorite professor. I, I agree with every, every word you just said. Yeah. Did you guys think to yourselves that this, this guy, Niffin, is going to be the dean of Harvard Business School? <laughs> Did that cross your mind in the classroom? Never mind. Yeah, I wouldn't say so at the time at all. But when you think about it, it's, it's, he seems like a natural choice. I mean, a lot of great professors, yeah. obviously, but it, it wasn't at all surprising to me when he was uh, announced. Yeah, I agree with that too. Yeah. Yeah, and, and he obviously he's had a very successful run. It stayed on a bit longer than he expected to deal with a couple of emergencies that perhaps were unanticipated, mm -hmm. but uh, has done a fantastic job. And I'm just jealous of you guys. Uh, <laughs> obviously, I'm very fond of my lead professor as well, but it sounds like you guys had a great experience. Yeah. Now, during these interviews, we often ask these questions that are helping people understand the person behind the person. It's a little more uh, whimsical, if you will, but it gives people some flavor. So the question we often ask is, what's the first concert you attended, Nick, that wasn't one that your parents dragged you to? Wow. So I'm going to tell you, and I'm, I'm, I'm a little embarrassed to tell you, it was... Um, the uh the the dirty dancing concert mm, we're all yeah. the same age don't worry exactly. <laughs> mine was it doesn't you so said. much date me because yeah we are all the same age but it was the dirty dancing concert and i was so excited to to be there with my then girlfriend nice. um i think that's very sweet i do too thank you now did you ever while you were dating uh, attempt to do the famed lift at the end of the movie. I didn't. I did not try. That was the, the Ryan Gosling maneuver in the mm -hmm. movie, was that, that he was in with? <laughs> the Notebook, I think? Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. It was uh, Crazy Stupid Love. Oh, Crazy Stupid Love. Wife. Great movie. Yeah. Um, so I didn't try that. I don't know that I had the upper arm strength uh, then or now. Not that my girlfriend yeah. was, was, you know, was, was yeah. but... <laughs> Um, so here's another HBS related question. And, and so what has been the biggest surprise for you about the last 20 years about life post HBS? Um, let's see, that's a good question. Let me reflect on that for a second. I, you know, I, th I think it's, it's, um, a couple things just kind of come to mind. We, we all make plans. And I think that, I don't know that this should be a surprise, but, you know, again, we're all sort of type A and we all um, have a sense of what we want to do with our careers and we're driven and we want to make those things happen. But 
I think that the, the way you can kind of make plans and, and, you know, life circumstances come in and um, hopefully many of the life circumstances that change your plan end up being happy circumstances. But, you know, it's just that you, you can end up just far off from where you thought you would be. Um, and as I mentioned, you know, I went to business school thinking that I was going to switch careers into finance or, you know, banking or something like that. Um, and I was surprised, in some ways, surprised at the time that I went back to medicine. Um, but I think we all have our version of that, that we make plans and we think in 10 years, we're going to be here and 15 here and 20 there. And uh, life just throws things your way. And, and again, hopefully... Um, much more for the better than for the worse. Um, you know, over the years, we've all had uh, our versions of ups and downs, but it's that, I think part, it's that planning can only get you so far. And when you're right. 25 years old, you think you know everything. Um, and as you grow up, you realize you don't. So this most recent set of months has certainly been a reminder that yeah. planning on some level is something you have to hold on to lightly, I think. Absolutely. And, yeah. you know, in some of the other interviews you've done with our classmates and, you know, speaking with other classmates, there have certainly been, uh, unfortunately, recently, it's been, uh, you know, sad circumstances that, that many of our friends have had to face, um, but are doing so with, you know, with great resolve and, um, with eternal optimism for, for many of them. And so that's just, it's nice to see. Mm -hmm. uh, but yeah, you know, life has got plans and it doesn't necessarily <laughs> share them with you. <laughs> right. Totally. Yes. To quote the wisdom of Mike Tyson, everybody's got a plan until they get punched in the face. And sometimes life punches us in the face. That's right. That's yeah. Right. It's a good one. Now, from the sublime to the ridiculous, this is a question that we ask everyone. What comic book superpower do you wish you had and why? Oh, wow. So I'm not a big comic book uh, aficionado, so I don't know that this is really a thing. I don't know if there is a superhero who has this power, but I think teleportation, is that the word? Yep, teleportation, absolutely. In the Marvel Universe, the character would be Nightcrawler. All right. <laughs> of course you know that. If you could immediately go from one place to another, I would love to, uh, to have that. You know, the, the number of times, uh, and again, this is not unique to me, everyone um, trying to start their career and, and, and succeed and move ahead in their career has had the same problem, I am very sure. But the number of times I've had to miss events for, for my kids or things that are important to my wife and uh, you know, had to do so because of work demands. Um, if I could just instantly go from one place to another, uh, I think it would just make life that much more fulfilling. It's a good one. The yeah. funny thing is we've all actually kind of experienced that these past few months in the sense that once upon a time, I'd be driving all over from meeting to meeting. Now to go from meeting to meeting, it's switched from this Zoom link to this That's Zoom link. True. That's a good point. That's true. I guess it's- And yet we go nowhere. We go everywhere and nowhere. Right. Um, Chris, I'm, I'm going to skip the cold call question because I agree. we sort of got that already. Okay. 
Um, so I'm going to do six. I know that's an even number, but I think I'll just, is that all right with you? Yeah, absolutely. I think that that's okay. going to be our standard policy. This is my favorite question, Nick. What is your favorite book? And you can pick more than one. Okay, great. Um, so my favorite book over the years. Yeah, so, you know, over the years, I probably thought of one or more as my favorite, but the one that I that remains in mind is uh, The Power of One by Bryce Courtney. Ever read it? I've heard of it. I have not read it. Isn't it, is it set in South Africa? It is. It's, it's this little yeah. boy who grows up in South Africa and it just follows him through a, a lot of his uh, life, including into his adult years. Um, I've heard it's wonderful. Obviously it is. Look, it's, it's, <laughs> you know, it's a story about like resilience and about, um, it's about sort of recognizing the worth of people around you. Um, even when, you know, even when they, it may be, it may not be what strikes your eye when you, when you see uh, a given person, but recognizing their worth and recognizing um, the way you can kind of bring out the best in them and, and they in turn do that for you. Uh, it's a really uplifting book and God knows in these times, we need uplifting. Seriously, I, I might be my next read. Yeah, it's a good I, one. I highly, highly recommend it. It's not short, uh, yeah. but it's totally engrossing. And uh, it's fiction, right? It's a novel. Yep, it sure yep. is. Yep. Mm -hmm. Yep. I do so, think that people have a greater appreciation for fiction during these times. I think that we need the ability to escape a little bit at times uh, yeah. life is so stressful these days it, it's good to be able to step into someone else's shoes for a bit yeah i know agree especially when you know the uh that character will, will take you to other places you know other places sort of other physical places and other um times uh it's just it's a it's a good escape um but it's also just a great book with i think some you know really nice life lessons one of, the thing, one of the things we're going to do eventually is we'll go back and we'll go through all these interviews and we'll pull out the entire recommended reading list because I think it is going to be an amazing list. That would be great. I agree. I yeah. would look forward to that. So do you I'm read also, a lot of fiction, Nick? You know, not not as much as I'd like to. Yeah. Um, yeah. But uh, yeah, that was uh, that, that's one that stands out. I'm trying to think of yeah. what the last fiction book that I read was. I try to do books on tape. Yeah. Oh, so you listen to them. Got yeah, it. Yeah, the audiobooks. Um, I'm totally blanking on the last book that I read. It was about what to do. Anyway, how about you guys? You end up reading a lot? Or you have time to? I've been reading a ton during COVID, and I read mostly fiction and occasionally memoir. Okay. Um, but I can't remember anything at all. I may, in general, not just books. I can't remember like what I have for breakfast. So I have to go look at the, li I'm a big library user. So I have to go to the library record to see what I've read, <laughs> which is pathetic, but I think common. And I do a lot of reading as well. When I read books uh, like you, I think Nick, I, I do uh, recorded books because uh -huh. it's just so nice. And again, you know, you contrast recorded books and podcasts. And the thing I say is that, well, a book is something that has been carefully distilled and boiled down to its essence in contrast to a podcast like this one, you know, a podcast, there's one take and that's it with the book. Right. The author is essentially done take after take after take to really get it perfect. So there's a right. lot of values of that. 
And I also read on my Kindle. I have a Kindle Paperwhite device that I bought since in the days when I still traveled a lot, which before yeah. this pandemic, it was very yeah. handy to have just as many books as I wanted always with me. And I actually loaded onto it a bunch of classic books just because uh, I enjoy going back. So I think I've reread The Three Musketeers and I have the collected nice. works of Shakespeare and, and also, wow. uh, also Mark Twain. Shakespeare, actually, I had a couple of friends. We did Shakespeare readings via Zoom. And I was oh, impressed wow. by some of the costumes that people put on. So I did. That's put on wonderful. What a great idea. Yeah, it's a great, it's a great thing to do. And people, I, I highly recommend it. It's a, a, a great appreciation for the language of Shakespeare because it is not always easy. No, no I would agree with that. <laughs> so I'm also going to skip over the next question, mm -hmm. which is about your favorite HBS course, because the answer to that is lead and yep. Nithonoria. So we're going to go on to the second to last question. Second to last question is, name a person living or dead that you admire and tell us a little bit about why you admire them so. All right, again, I'm going to reflect on that for a minute. I should have known that question was coming because I've heard it. I've heard you guys ask that before. <laughs> you're a busy man. You're, you're curing <laughs> cancer. I mean, come on. You got to cut yourself some slack. <laughs> um, oh, yeah, there's obviously so many people come to mind, uh, but they'll sound trite. Maybe that's okay. That's, that's absolutely okay. okay. I, I say first, yeah. It's not a contest. No. Um, so, you know, in continuing with the, with the South Africa theme, um, and also because actually in college I studied African history and um, wrote, <laughs> back when I used to write, um, mm -hmm. wrote, uh, lots on um, Southern Africa in particular and sort of the politics of Southern Africa. But, you know, Nelson Mandela, um, mm -hmm. as, as trite as it sounds, um, and it, it's not just for obviously the, the massive changes he brought about, um, but it's just for the strength of spirit that, you know, that he embodies um, in just sort of being beat down and, and coming up again uh, and coming up again without sort of anger or malice, um, you know, coming up again in a, in a way that helped create a, a nation, you know, based on some important ideals. And I, I think it's very arguably true that unfortunately South Africa has not um, continued on the path that, that Nelson Mandela would have liked best or would have set out. But um, to be able to, you know, have just the, the strength of, of resolve and the strength of spirit to um, be faced with sort of the worst of humanity and to continue to point direction, point people in the direction of the best of humanity is a, it's a pretty amazing thing. I, I think that is not even remotely trite. I think it's a great choice and nobody said him yet. Good, good. I, have, I will say, this is the segue to the last question. Uh, I went to the summer after, sorry, the summer before business school, summer of 98. My husband graduated from Sloan in 98, and I obviously started HBS that 
fall and so labor day whatever so we had the summer off together we were just dating we've been dating about five minutes and we went to africa for six weeks i swear to god my parents were like she's gonna come home in a trash bag i mean there were no cell phones there were no email i mean it (laughs) it was a very bold it was uh, unlike me who tends to be a fairly cautious person but anyway we spent 10 days or two weeks in south africa it was a while ago um obviously it remains probably the most spectacular place i've ever been it's just like the, the have you ever been there yeah, actually went on our honeymoon. Oh, wow. Okay, that's great. Um, so that so the last question, and I always tell that Chris and I started coming up with this idea and these questions before COVID, and this was a question that was one of the what I suggested, and it feels so much more poignant now in the COVID era, to me at least. Um, but what is the one place in the world that you haven't been that you most want to go? Hmm. Um, again, I'm going to take a, take a moment to reflect. That's a- <laughs> it's a reflection of your personality, which is to say you did not, in the case of that cold call, just try to BS it. You're like, no, I'm going to reflect. I'm going to be honest. I'm going to be authentic. <laughs> and that's very much who you are. Yeah. That's a kind spin on it. I appreciate it. <laughs> <laughs> now you see why I had so much to say when I was at HBS. <laughs> Um, so the one place I have not been, wow, so many amazing places in the world. Um, and you could say more than one. I mean, okay. Uh, you think it'd be an easy question. Um, so I, I, I would, I would love to, to see the Great Barrier Reef, uh, mm-hmm. right before it turns into nothing and before we, uh, successfully, you know, kill every every piece of coral in there. Um, but let me see if I can come up with a better one. Again, Dr. Nick, you seem to have this opinion. One. You yeah. have to give an answer nobody else has given. This is not the way the rules work. You yeah, can give no, whatever I, answer you want to give. <laughs> Are you a scuba diver? I'm not, but I would yeah. I would learn to be for you would learn for there. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> What's your favorite place you have been? Uh, I just, I love Paris. I think, yeah. I'm a city person. I'm, I'm, I, I like to go on city trips. My wife, on the other hand, likes to go on kind of relaxing, uh, relaxing trips. So, um, you know, maybe I would say the trip that I have not been on that I would most like to do is uh, sort of great cities of the world. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, great cities all over the world. And, you know, I've been to some of them, um, obviously in New York and if Boston qualifies as a great city there and San Francisco and London and Paris, Mumbai. But I, I think great cities of the world as, a, as an around the world trip would be an amazing one to do at some point. Yeah. Um, yeah. See sort of what every culture's take on, um, you know, cities are kind of the embodiment of, of all the things we find important um, mm-hmm. to, to to see every culture's take on what that is, um, I think would be, you know, a fascinating comparison. So yeah. it's not one place, but it's a trip no, it's to take at some point. Maybe one per continent or something. Yeah, there you go. Excellent. Well, it's definitely something you can put on the calendar for after medical science yeah. comes in and, and gets a vaccine and is able yeah, to exactly. lift this plague from us. Sometime when we're done with all this. Oh. Which is going to be when? 
I, I don't know. I hope we'll be soon. Yeah. We'll be soon. Yeah. Now, having said that, I think that, uh, you know, there's some, there's some good that's come out of this. Um, and, uh, you know, I, we should realize that many of us are in fortunate positions that we can see the good in this and that we're not, uh, you know, we don't have family members suffering or, or jobs at stake, but uh, I've spent much more time with my kids, mm-hmm. uh, which has been really nice. Um, work has been a little bit less busy than before, so it will be good when this is all over, but there is some small piece of it that, that I'll miss. Yeah, I agree with that. Yeah. I remember having that realization probably in early April where I just one day was like, we're going to miss these days. Yeah. There's just something, it's actually in a weird way, even though it's still here, I kind of miss those days now. Like there was a clarity around everything. Right. Um, which I, I, now I feel everybody's just mixed up. Well, there was a clarity because everyone was united for a brief period yeah. of time before their natural instincts took over again. But yeah. I do agree. It's so important given that we are in this situation to appreciate the silver linings. I know I've had various friends who have adult children who've come back and they talk about, it's so great to have the kids around. This is really unexpected. It's not something that typically happens. And Mm -hmm. I do think that there are benefits and we should lean into those benefits while at the same time, desperately hoping that this is over as soon as possible. Right. Right. (laughs) Yep. Indeed. Oh, fantastic. Uh, Are there any last thoughts or any any questions that we should have asked you that we sadly neglected (laughs) to do? Um, I think you guys have done a great job and I, it's been really nice to, uh, to hear from some of our other other classmates. So I thank you for the time you've put into doing this. Well, thank you for participating. Oh, my pleasure. Especially because you're technically on call and could have been called away to save a life at any moment. And I think we could just be glad we managed to get through. Well, I think you're giving me a little bit too much credit. It doesn't, uh, nothing quite that dramatic happens uh, very frequently, but um, I just wanted to let you know in case I got a call. Listen, I've seen Grey's Anatomy. I know how this stuff works. That's funny. (laughs) Yeah. <laughs> when I was a resident, um, it was right around when it was. I was a resident at Mount Sinai in New York in general surgery, and it was right around when I think Grey's Anatomy was sort of coming on board or or uh, getting big. And one of my co-residents was interviewed by E Magazine, or maybe it was E the the, the television show, but she was asked whether residency is anything like Grey's Anatomy. which got her into trouble her answer was it's nothing like Grey's Anatomy because all the attendings those are the the senior surgeons when you finish residency you're an attending because all the attendings are old and gross (laughs) oh wow (laughs) that seems like an unwise thing to say and I don't know I I hope I'm not old and gross but uh, who knows to her (laughs) I think I think that it's definitely true that somewhere there is some anonymous place where the residents write about the attendees. They're like, Dr. Nick, we like to call him Nick Steamy. <laughs> I don't know about that, but. <laughs> well, thank you so much. Thank you for so getting. much. No, thank you guys. And uh, take care, be well, and all the best to, to everyone listening and to your families.